Pastini is Eugene's new Italian bistro at Oakway Center, dedicated to serving up two of life's greatest pleasures, pasta and wine. Join them for classic favorites like spaghetti and meatballs, linguine with clams and sausage, and fettuccine Alfredo paired with hand-selected Pacific Northwest and Italian wines. Pastini. Eat pasta. Drink wine. Welcome to the Duck Pod from DuckSports.com. Here's Ryan Thorburn and Austin Meek from the Register Guard Newsroom. All right, Austin. Well, it's Cal Week. Oregon is heading down to Berkeley, uh, actually ranked 19th, moved up a spot after the loss to Stanford, and the Bears cracked the rankings at 24. So since it's such a big matchup, we got to bring Steve Mims in here as well. Uh, before we look ahead, let's look back, I guess, at, at that collapse that Oregon had against Stanford. What's your biggest takeaway from that and how the Ducks have responded, Steve? I think now it's, you know, when that first happened, I think everybody thought, boy, how does this carry over to next week? Suddenly Cal looks more difficult. I will say that just being around practice and being around the players, it does feel like that's kind of over. You know, I, I think the reason for that is because I think, you know, we've heard, I think Shane Lemieux said it to you, Jake Hansen said it to me, that they felt like they were the better team. They felt like they overpowered Stanford. And I think the coaches have been able to kind of convince them that, hey, yeah, that, that was a terrible loss. But rather than look at the final score, if you look at kind of the way the first 55 minutes went, if you just – look at kind of the you know they did kind of what they wanted to do to Stanford and, and I think they've been able to instill the message that hey you, you head out of this you know and instead of sitting there and regretting the four or five plays that went against them if you look at it as the greater whole um, you know if you just don't look at the final score I think they feel well about the way, way they played so I, I don't think that the hangover concern of going to Cal is, is going to be as big a factor as maybe I thought it was in the instant moments after the game. Austin what's your final verdict on Mario's play calling late in the game there's been a lot of opinions on well yeah you just run the ball get the first down you know you don't expect to fumble other people are saying well Stanford has conceded the game kneel down Um, maybe you don't even have to punt Uh, Mario says you have to punt I don't like to punt there what's your overall thought on that finally yeah you know as I thought about it I don't have a problem with how they handled it at the end I think the I think the logic was sound because with this, with one timeout, Stanford could have made Oregon punt, and you put the punter on the field, a lot of things can go wrong. He can drop the snap, you can have the punt blocked, you could have the punt returned for a touchdown, you could have a bad snap, which Oregon already had bad snaps. So, I, I I agree with the thought process. I think of Mario Cristobal not wanting to put the punter on the field. Now it is interesting to to think about would Stanford have used that last timeout because they didn't use it after the first down play. Uh, I think. Nick Aliotti was making the point that uh, that maybe David Shaw just lets the clock run out, in which case, yeah, you would have been smart to take a knee, but I can't imagine he would have done that. If you have a chance to call a timeout and force the other team to punt, there's just too many things that can happen on a punt uh, not to at least try it if you're the opposing coach. So I think the thought process was okay. Uh, you run the ball. There's really only one bad thing that can happen, but that was the bad thing that did happen. C.J. Verdell fumbled the ball. Yeah, I'm guessing if they're in the same position at Cal, they will 
run, maybe not C.J. Verdell, <laughs> but somebody with two arms around that ball to try and get the first down, if not get down, keep the clock running. Yeah. I just think that's their mentality with their offensive line and wanting to run between yeah. the tackles. so I do think anybody, I mean, you have to be fascinated. You have to almost be rooting for them to be in that situation again <laughs> at some point next just to see if next time, if you know, you don't snap it to Justin Herbert and have him turn around and sprint twenty yards back and kind of dance around until somebody gets there, but I, I would love to, I would love to see them in a very similar yeah. situation. See if this kind of, hey, we're aggressive. This is what we do. If they really do it, or if somebody during this week has said, hey, maybe this would be a better option in that kind of a situation. I wrote about. Not, I mean, C.J. Verdell wasn't available to talk to, but I wrote about kind of how lost in his fumble is that he has kind of emerged as the feature back on this team. I think he's the key to this Cal game. I think, you know, Herbert's obviously motivated, and, and Cal has a good secondary and all that, but you got to figure Justin Wilcox, with a week to prepare during their bye week, is going to try to shut down Oregon's running game and make uh, Oregon one-dimensional. I'm curious to see how C.J. bounces back and, and the Ducks in general. Yeah, and you know, and Tony Brooks James was banged up at the end of that game. Are we seeing now? We've talked all season basically about this running back depth chart. How's it going to shake out? Are we seeing now the the clarity of C.J. Verdell is going to be the guy, and Tony Brooks James is going to be the the change of pace? You know, I, I know Tony was a little bit banged up, but I think it's telling that C.J. Verdell was the guy uh, with the ball in his hands at the end of the game. Uh, obviously, it, uh, it it didn't work out, but it seems like uh, Oregon's still got a lot of trust in C.J. that um, that he can be out there in crunch time. They're getting almost scary thin at running back, too. I mean, you started the year with six. Taj Griffin's transferred you down to five. Brooks James is questionable as we can go. You're at four. Darian Felix, the only sophomore of that group, is, didn't play last week, was injured, so you wonder he's back, but how good? I mean, I don't think they want to trust him with a whole lot of handouts. I mean, you're looking at the situation where Verdell, you know, followed by Travis Dye and, and Habibi Likio could potentially be your only three guys, and then all of a sudden you're an injury away from some real depth issues. So I think that's one to keep an eye on. You know, we've seen, like I say, Brooks James go down, and uh, and yeah, I would expect he comes back this week, but I don't know that he's a guy that's going to get 15 to 18 carries this week. So we'll see. But I, I do think that just kind of the attrition at the running back room could be something as this season goes along that could become a greater and greater concern, particularly if a Verdell goes down. What do you have waiting behind him? It's hard to believe after two years ago what we saw where there was really no defense played that both of these teams are so dramatically improved on defense. Obviously, you have – Justin Wilcox's influence at Cal. You have Jim Levitt in his second year at Oregon. Um, we knew they would continue to improve, but are you guys surprised how good uh, Oregon has been at, at stopping the run and their front seven? I don't think there's any surprise that in 2016 when Sonny Dykes was on one <laughs> sideline and Brady Hoke was on the other, that it wasn't a, a defensive clash. But um, yeah, I am, I'm surprised just with you know the amount of playmakers Oregon has. I, I think we've seen, you know, Last year it was Troy Dye, and you felt like he had some guys around him. But, I mean, they really, with Jilks on the line, with Hollins outside, and, and with Amadi in the defensive second, they really have kind of a, a true playmaker at each spot. Yeah, I've been I've been surprised by how quickly the front seven has developed. At, you know, Jordan Scott, I, when he arrived on campus, there was a little bit of buzz about him, but I didn't think anybody really understood um, – that he could be doing this at this level um, as a sophomore, you know, just to have that guy in the middle of your defense, it just completely changes everything you can do. Uh, he's such a disruptive player, and it doesn't really show up in the stats, but to me he's been the key to what Oregon is doing up front um, because, you know, you, you can't block him with one guy. He just completely changes everything the other team is doing with their offensive line. Well, we have a guest uh, on the line. Let's give Todd McKim a call, and, and Steve kind of, 
introduce Todd and kind of his background with Oregon and Cal. Todd was a longtime sports anchor at KVAL and KZI in Eugene, and then uh, was back in the old days before IMG when they had the Oregon Sports Network. Him and Joe G. and Sante and Anthony Newman and a cast of characters were actually, he had kind of some local people doing the Oregon games. Those were most of the games you saw on TV for Oregon were produced by the Oregon Sports Network, and he did that for for football and basketball. He retired about 10 years ago and moved down to the Bay Area, and uh, hooked on with Cal. He's the sideline announcer for their football. He's the play-by-play announcer for their men's basketball. He has a podcast and he uh, works in the wine business. So he knows a little bit about uh, both sides of of this game and uh, we'll have him uh, give his thoughts on Cal and and the team he used to cover in Oregon. All right, Steve, let's bring on our guest this week, Todd McKim, uh, former Oregon or Eugene area uh, Reporter and now working as Cal sideline reporter and basketball play-by-play guy, and we're going to have Todd talk a little bit about this week's matchup with Oregon visiting Cal. Todd, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How about you guys? Doing good, Todd. Doing good. So, Todd, what's kind of the vibe of Cal getting into the uh, AP poll and and hosting a ranked Oregon team this Saturday night uh, in Berkeley? Well, I mean, there's obviously excitement in the fan base, and I'm sure there's excitement amongst the players and coaches, but the, as you guys know, players and coaches uh, like to publicly downplay these kinds of things when it hasn't happened for a while. It's been a couple of seasons since the Bears were in the rankings. So, but I think they're more excited about the fact that it's the first conference game. They're coming off a bye, so they want to get back out there and play again against a very good Oregon team, which is ranked as well. So I think it should be an exciting matchup. What is the feeling, Todd, coming off the bye? I talked with Justin Wilcox a little bit uh, two days ago, and he's, you know, kind of downplayed any thought that that gives a big advantage. You know, he talked about they had spent the week doing a lot of developmental stuff and maybe got a little bit of a start on Oregon. But I think fans up here in particular think with, with Justin's defensive background, that might an extra week to kind of prepare for Oregon may really play into their hands well. Well, I think it certainly helps. I don't know that it hurts when you have extra preparation. Uh but they're going to face a team that's unlike anything they've seen in the first three games so far. Obviously, the speed factor, I think, for Oregon is a big thing. And I don't, you know, if you can simulate that in practice, you can you can do it in games. And that hasn't been the case for that. We're not the fastest team in the world. So I think that's the advantage that Oregon has. But, yeah, I mean, you get to look at some sets and you get to look at, you know, I'm, I'm sure they've studied Oregon, you know, as, as much as they possibly can. The question is, does it translate to the players? And can the players go out there and execute the game plan? That's the key. And I think the speed factor is really the most concerning thing, along with the you know, the quarterback, Justin Herbert, has just been you know, unbelievable. He was just terrific against Stanford. And uh, everybody knew he was going to be a good quarterback. We saw last year in the, the brief time that he played against the Bears that he had all the tools that you want to see. Unfortunately, he got hurt um, and then came back and played strong down the stretch. And it's off to a terrific start. So... I think those are the two big concerns for the Bears, despite the extra preparation. Can they match up speed-wise, and what are they going to do to try to contain Justin Herbert? Now, obviously, North Carolina is struggling this year, but they do have um, very good athletes, and and Cal was able to corral them. And then it turns out this BYU win is looking better and better. Uh, I guess, is Justin ahead of where people thought he would be in year two or is it kind of a wait and see how they do in the Pac-12 like I remember last year they got off to a good start and then struggled down the stretch what what are kind of the expectations and have they been raised with this start 
You know, I suppose in, in part of the fan base, maybe they've been raised a little bit. But as you mentioned, the Bears started three and zero last season. They're three and zero this year. So, it, I mean, each and every year, it's kind of what you do in the conference that matters the most. And so, they'd like to take that next step and and, and be someone that can be in the the uh, top half of the conference. Certainly, to do that, that would mean you'd be in the top half of the Pac-12 North because that seems to be the stronger of the two divisions right now. I mean, you got. Washington and Stanford and Oregon and Washington State. Uh, Oregon State, I think, has been a little up and down, but you know, they're, I think they're on the right path. And so the Bears want to, you know, move up the pecking order a little bit. And to do that, they've got to beat some point in time. They have to beat some of the better teams in the league. You've got to be able to beat a Washington every once in a while. You got to beat Oregon. You got to beat Stanford, USC. If you want to be mentioned as a contender in your division, and to do that. Uh, you've got to have better players. Uh, they're doing a better job in recruiting, but that takes a while. That just does not happen overnight, certainly not at a place like Cal, where you have you know, academic restrictions and tougher to get junior college players in and so forth. So for them to take the next step, which I think some people believe they can do this year based on the schedule, uh, they've got to beat some of the better teams in the league. Good. I think the quarterback down there has interested a lot of people. Obviously, Ross Bowers came back, and now it looks like he's third string, and, and Garber's got the start, but then we've seen McIlwain in there, too. Can you kind of describe how they've kind of – what philosophy they've had in terms of rotating those guys this year, and, and do we expect to see two, and is there a chance that Bowers pops back up at some point this season, too? Uh, there's always a possibility for all of those scenarios, Steve. Um, I, I would expect Garber's to be the starter. I would expect to see McIlwain. I'd be surprised unless there's an injury. We would see Ross Bowers this week. I think going into the season, guys, they were going to give Ross Bowers every opportunity to maintain his position atop the depth chart. And I think in the first week or so in camp, they felt like he was going to be the guy. But then the other two players, particularly Garbers, who in reality might have been close to being the starter last year as a true freshman, but I I think the lack of experience in the program probably dissuaded them from starting him in the opener last year against North Carolina. But he's got more of the physical tools that I think uh, they want in this offense. He can throw it. I mean, he was one of the elite 11 finalists. So he comes from a good high school. He had great high school numbers. I think he has a bigger upside, if I can put it that way, than maybe Ross Bowers does. Plus, he has the dimension of being able to use his legs in the run game. And Brandon McElwain is just a phenomenal athlete. He was a, projected to be a maybe a first-round draft pick in the Major League Baseball draft in 2016. He opted to go to South Carolina and play football because he likes both sports. Uh, he gives them a little bit more of the run dimension, but he can pass as well. So I, I think the rest of this year, if all of those guys stay healthy, uh, we're going to see Garbers and McElwain for sure, and then we'll wait to see if Bowers gets back in there. Beyond Justin Herbert, I think the strength of Oregon's team is the offensive line. <clears throat> Three of the starters are redshirt juniors that Steve Greatwood obviously recruited and played when they were redshirt freshmen. They've developed into really good players. Um, now Steve has a pretty experienced offensive line down at Cal. Um, how important was it for Justin Wilcox to hire Steve and a veteran staff like he has? And, and do you think, obviously, Greatwood views this as a special game, or is he trying to treat it like any other game? Well, he's going to try to treat it as another game, but you know it's not, okay? And even Justin Wilcox, you know, he poo-pooed the fact that, you know, he went to Oregon, grew up in Oregon, Junction City, uh, you know, tried to 
say it's just another game. We're trying to find a way for our kids to succeed, put our kids in the best. Let's, let's face it, in the back of their minds, it's a big game for them, certainly for Coach Greatwood, because he was let go from that, that staff when Willie came in. So uh, by the same token, these guys have been around the block a lot. I mean, Steve Greatwood's been coaching for, you know, 35-plus years, so he's just trying to get his kids ready to go uh, as best as he possibly can against a very stout front seven for Oregon, especially nose tackle, you know, Scott. I think he's a big a big concern for them because they've been pushed around a little bit by the bigger teams like North Carolina and BYU, uh, and so Oregon is just as big and more athletic, uh, certainly than BYU. Uh, North Carolina had some guys that will play in the NFL, but the Ducks do as well. That front seven is really tough. Well, I'm glad to hear that Justin Wilcox poo-poos this to the local media as much because uh, in, talk- in, in talking with him two days ago, you tried to ask him about rankings, and he says, oh, we never needed any validation from that. And you ask him about kind of confidence from a 3-0 start, and he says, well, I never felt like this team was unconfident. So he's kind of kept that uh, that authentic approach that we wrote about last year, but it's just really seems about as grounded as and as kind of out of the spotlight as any any Division One college coach in the nation right now. He doesn't even have a Twitter account. I mean, don't figure it out, right? So, I mean, the modern era or not, he is, but he just doesn't like to do a lot of that stuff. It'd be nice if maybe Lane Kiffin could get to, you know one of his people down and to, to break into Justin's office and then put a couple things up there just to see how, how Justin would react to a little national attention because he certainly is, has been flying under the radar. Yeah, he certainly has. I think he enjoys flying under the radar, too. He, he's one of those guys who like to sneak up and snatch it when you least expect it. He's just that kind of a guy. Todd, it's two different coaching staffs, obviously, but the 2016 game was, as you alluded to, Justin Herbert's first ever road start as a quarterback. Um, the Ducks lost in double overtime, even though he threw six touchdown passes. Uh, what are you expecting from uh, an improved Cal defense going against, obviously, Herbert has developed into a, you know a potential Heisman guy if the Ducks do well this year? Well, he's clearly going to be the best quarterback we'll face, although the the guy at Stanford, Costello, is pretty good, too, but I, I don't think he's quite as polished. I don't think he runs it as well as Justin does. So, I mean, the key, again, I think, is that you've got to be able to contain the run to start with, and that includes, you know, defending Justin. He's going to pull it down a couple of times during the game. And then the speed factor with Dennis Mitchell on the outside and Red and all those guys, they, they can run. And we, we have only faced one legitimate deep threat speed guy so far this year, and that was a guy in North Carolina, a really good player, and we matched up pretty well with him, but he, he still court, uh, scored a touchdown against us on a long pass, so uh, this is a different element. They've got four or five guys that can run. The tight ends are a factor as well for the Ducks. Uh, they, they're involved in the passing game, certainly down in the red zone, and Justin, you know, he, he's got a good feel of the offense right now. I mean, he knows where to go. He reads defense as well, so I think, you know, if you're Cal, you have to mix up your coverages, you have to blitz on occasion, try to make him uncomfortable in the pocket. And that's easier said than done with, a, as you guys mentioned, uh, a veteran offensive line certainly at three of the spots. Um, so that's the challenge is to try to make him uncomfortable, contain him in the pocket, to make him go to his second and third reads. And then the one strength that Cal, I think, does have is they've been pretty good in the secondary this year. They've got some players back there that are that are really good and have a chance to be good players at the next level as well. And they've They've intercepted seven passes so far this year. So it'll be interesting to see if they can mix it up a little bit, confuse them a little bit, and uh, hopefully get a couple of turnovers. Well, we'll let you go, Todd. But before we do that, I, I 
would be remiss if I didn't ask any any current wines out there that you're tasting and that you can uh, recommend to the uh, to the fiant folks in the Willamette Valley. Well, if you're down in the Healdsburg area, which is where I live and where I work, I'm going into the going into the winery today. Um, Stone Street wines, high end Cabernet, Chardonnay, highly regarded, ninety two to ninety seven point wine. So we'll keep it in house right now, guys, and uh, go with Stone Street, but. There's 750 wineries in Sonoma and Napa counties. There's a lot of good wines, so come on down and have a good time. Yeah, 20 years ago, Todd and I were walking the sidelines of local high school football fields, and last year, <laughs> last year we were walking the streets of Healdsburg looking for good wines. So it's, uh, I'd like right. to say maybe we've come a long way, but but thanks a lot for joining us, Todd. We we appreciate your uh, expertise on Cal and and coming back to the your old home to to give your views on the game Saturday. Always good to talk to you guys. I look forward to seeing you on Saturday. All right, guys, we're back, and I guess let's take a look to Saturday night, uh, one of those fun 7.35 kickoffs, Oregon at Cal, Pac-12 after dark. I picked uh, Cal in the paper um, because of a lot of factors that Oregon's brushing off the emotions of last week, Uh, Cal's bye week getting ready, and obviously it's a big game for them, welcoming the Ducks for a ranked matchup at home and the Ducks have a bye week next week that maybe they're looking ahead to but uh, Jim Levitt said I don't think about any of that stuff I only think about watching film and Pepsi and you guys are confusing me with all these scenarios where it's a trap game is it a trap game or does Oregon bounce back with a vengeance this week I think it sets up as a potential trap game but like I say I was I would have thought that more than you know after the game Saturday I think the way they've come back they're the more talented team than Cal. This is the first road game. This is a team that didn't play well on the road last year. I think that has their attention. I think they aren't, you know, Cal's getting a ranking. That's going to help Oregon get a little more focused. But I just think the fact that they played so poorly on the road last year, they know that, you know, this is, you know, one of the, one of the places. This isn't Washington. This isn't, you know, a place that's going to have a particularly, you know, heavy crowd presence. It's, it's kind of a place you can go in and get a road win. So I think Oregon does. I think it's pretty low scoring. I think Cal, I think Justin Wilcox with that extra week to prepare for Oregon, I, I think he'll be able to limit some of the big plays, and I really worry about Oregon's ability to run the ball. So I think I've got it like a 30-24 type game. And, you know, we talk about Justin Herbert and Cal has been sort of two real tragic, you know, games that he played there. The the first one he throws six touchdown passes and throws an interception to end it in overtime. And then last year he scores a touchdown and gets hurt again for an injury that cost him five games. So um, it would be interesting to see his his – History against Cal has really got some, you know, some some great performances, but some real sadness in the end. Yeah, I think I think I'd be more worried about the trap game scenario actually if Oregon had had won that game thirty-one to seven. Then they'd be flying high and they'd be thinking, oh, we can beat Washington when Washington comes in a couple weeks. But losing that game in the way they did, I think actually may focus them on Cal in a way they wouldn't have been if they were kind of walking around with the the chest puffed out after a big win against Stanford. So um, I'm picking Oregon in this one, uh, maybe by a pretty decent margin. I'm going to take Oregon 35-24 because I just think human nature, you, you have a loss like that initially you're down you know you're frustrated but I think all that energy now is going to come into Oregon wanting to come out in this game and prove that they're the team that they were for three quarters against Stanford you know they they realize now what their potential is and how good they can be Uh, and I think there's going to be a real motivation for them now to show that over four quarters yeah in a way I'm picking Oregon by picking Cal because I'm last place in picks uh, yeah I think it's going to be a good game though because I think Justin Wilcox is really doing a great job I mean 
Cal was a dumpster fire two years ago when Sonny yeah. Dykes left. And like I mentioned, the fact that they're solid on defense now, but I, I do think Oregon's defense has a big advantage on Cal's offense. I, you know, they've played three quarterbacks. You know, I'm just not sure what to expect at all there, and I'm not sure Cal is either. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, you as Todd talked about, but Ross Bowers, everybody thought was the returning starter, and you know, you can look at it. Wow, their quarterbacks are so good. They got two guys that beat out the returning starter, and um, they certainly like Garbers the way he's going. But it'll be interesting to see if they, uh, you know, just how much if they at some point are kind of go with him, or if they keep moving McElwain in there with some different packages, but. Um, you know, it's almost a little bit like the Portland State in the sense that one quarterback, you know, they kind of mixed things up and brought in a guy who could run it a bunch. And so, uh, but I expect to see, you know, mostly Garbers this week. And, um, you know, that he, Todd was saying that Justin Herbert's the best quarterback or that Cal's going to face this year. I think Oregon can safely say that, you know, they've got a few other challenges at quarterback later that'll be, be tougher than the one they face this week. So I'm with you. I, I think it should be a, a good chance for Oregon's defense this week. And I know Mario has a, a honeymoon period, Austin, but. If you do come home 0 and 2 and you lose to a Cal team when you have Justin Herbert, you have Jim Levitt, you have all these things working for you, the schedule they've had sets up or was setting up pretty well. All of a sudden you come back 0 and 2 and Washington's coming to town, your sense of urgency is off the charts and really your ultimate goals are out the window. Yeah, I kind of feel like this game could be sort of a, a fulcrum point for Oregon season because uh, if if you lose this game, like you said, now you got Washington coming in, and then you got to go to Washington State, and zero and four is looking certainly possible in the Pac-12. Uh, and at that point, yeah, you know, all of your big goals are are off the table, and it's just a matter of okay, let's salvage this thing and get to a bowl game. Versus, you win this game, and now you're you know you're feeling okay when Washington comes in because Washington has certainly has not been invincible this season. Um, so so I do think this game is maybe the point where either Oregon gets it on track and they get hot, or if they lose this game, maybe, maybe it could really go off track. All right, well, we'll find out what happens, and we will talk to you next week. Thanks for tuning in to The Duck Pod. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Duck Pod from DuckSports.com. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And always available at DuckSports.com. Duck Sports.